The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. Hey guys, so we are so excited to brag a little. Writing Class Radio was just named Best Website for Writers by Writer's Digest. Yay! Good. Yeah, now we have a ton of great tips on there, stories we study, publishing resources. We list places to submit, books we love, podcasts we love. It's packed. It's good. Yeah, and it's all free, so check it out. Also, if you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, we have joined the world of Patreon. So you can support us monthly and not have to think about it or annually or whatever. The reason why we switched to Patreon, literally just did it five minutes ago because I'm listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast and he's interviewing Amanda Palmer, who if you don't know, just go straight to his podcast and just listen to every word. I mean, it's long, but it is good. She's amazing. She's a performer. She's an artist. She's an author. She's 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 been there, done it. Amanda Palmer... She is all about saying the thing that you don't want to say, like that vulnerable, awesome, like embarrassing thing that you think people are going to look at you and be like, oh, God, I don't want anything to do with her. It's like all those things that everyone's always told you never to talk about. She says those things. Did out she loud. say any of them on the podcast? On the yeah. What'd yeah. She, she had an abortion. Oh. She's lost a best friend. Like they're um, crowd silencers when you you know when you're talking and all of a sudden it's like oh I think I'll go get another drink it's like the people can't handle the the truth so she's she talks about it in her book and she gets into detail and I I just cannot wait to read her book but what's interesting is we have a lot of students and actually I was one of them I was holding on to these secrets and figuring like god if anybody knew about the death of my daughter well then they'd be scared to talk to me and they wouldn't want to know me and why are you telling these secrets um we have a student who she thinks she has all these demons. She says things like maybe she looks like a bitch in her story or she's saying mean things or something and she thinks and people are going to not like her because she's telling the truth. And then after class she's like I can't believe you guys still like me. Yeah. I, I can't believe you like me more. Yeah. I and, do and like the her more, more and more she tells the more and more I love her. I do like people that are like unique and different and don't mind talking about it. That's why I was so drawn to Amanda Palmer. Like I don't even know her but now I feel like I know her. Yeah. And even though I haven't gone through an abortion, I feel like I've gone through my own trauma. And now I feel like her soul sister because I've also gone through trauma. You know, it's just this is how life is. Everyone is going through something. So when you tell them something, they feel closer to you. If you're willing to share, then maybe they're willing to share. And they're not in this world alone. That was not the only thing I got out of the, the podcast. What I learned about an hour and 30 minutes in is something that you actually, Andrea, have been trying to tell me for over a year now that you wanted to join Patreon. But I'm like, I don't want to give away the money that people are giving us. Let's just put it right to use. Because mm. I know like Kickstarter, they all sort of take a percentage. There's a fee involved yeah. in, in every gift. But what Amanda said is that the people who love our show are willing to pay $3 a month to keep our art going so that we don't have to worry about anything else but producing a podcast with instruction and stories that will inspire them and help them and make them feel less alone. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm getting home and I'm signing up. And that's what I did. So thank you, Amanda Palmer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm a little hard headed. But um, all right. So now we can just 
hopefully raise enough money and we can just continue to create magic without <laughs> worrying about the money. Support us on Patreon and we don't have to worry about raising money. We can just keep creating this podcast. Yes. Look for the Patreon link on our website. Okay, Writing Class Radio listener, we want your stories. Send us your best, true, personal story, and we will air it on our show if it gets picked. True and personal means about you, about you, the narrator, you have to be in this story. Right. We don't want your true story about the Revolutionary War. Yeah, no. And if it's never been published anywhere, we'll pay you 100 bucks for it. And if it has been published, we'll pay you 50 Go to our website, writingclassradio.com. Hit the submissions tab, read our guidelines before you submit, and listen to a bunch of our episodes. That way you'll get a sense of what we air. And listen, being familiar with the style and content will up your chances of getting published on our podcast and in any publication. I'm Allison Langer, and this is Writing Class Radio, where you'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. True and personal. (laughs) (laughs) About you. Vulnerable. Tell us the stuff that you're afraid to tell everybody else. I'm Andrea Askowitz. Together we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By art, we mean the craft of writing. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. Shit! Shit! (laughs) There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Do you know how sometimes when you're reading a story, you feel like it slows down in like a really critical moment? Like maybe the narrator describes the people in the room or the birds or a tree nearby. Maybe there's a flashback to a memory. Um, Anyway, in that moment, me, I, us, the reader becomes super hyper aware and hopefully really drawn in. That's the moment. Today on our show, we're talking about slowing down and expanding a moment. A moment in a story that says to the reader, hey, pay attention. I'm about to give you some details that are important to the story. Listener Devin Sandiford submitted a story where he slows down in the most important moment, both to explain what's happening in detail and by going back to another memory that explains why this moment matters. Here's Devin Sandiford, a patent examiner at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and a writing class radio listener from Brooklyn, New York. Last week, I cried on a New York City public bus. 45 minutes earlier, I'd bounced on the sidewalk in the warmth of early spring, excited to be outside in a t-shirt for the first time all year. I smiled at each person I passed and sang songs from The Greatest Showman on my way to pick up my four-year-old son from pre-K. When I got to his school, I waited for him to be dismissed. My smile widened as my son rounded the corner. After a quick embrace, we headed outside with me singing aloud again. My son looked up at me with a big smile and asked, Can we get blue smoothies? I looked at the time. Sure, why not? We walked the half block to Juice Press and ordered two 16-ounce blue magic smoothies, then moseyed to our bus stop. My son sipped from his straw and balanced like a ballerina on the raised cobblestones surrounding an old tree stump. When I looked down, I noticed his cup was more than half empty and it hit me that we'd been waiting for the bus for a long time. I checked our updated ETA, It said 3.59, only one minute before the school bus would drop off my seven-year-old son. That was cutting it too close. Maybe we can take an Uber, I thought. Uber will take just as long from here, though. Maybe we can make it if we run, 
You'll get too tired to make it in time with a kid in tow. Before I could think of a better solution, the bus pulled up. I paid our fare and nabbed the seats closest to the back door so we could make a quick escape at our stop. As we approached the first of nine stops, I looked out the window. Ah, great, I said. What? My son asked. I don't think we'll make it to Jay in time. A wheelchair rider waited at the bus stop and motioned to the bus driver that he wanted to board. In order for a person in a wheelchair to board, the bus driver needs to park the bus, lower it to street level, extend the ramp onto the curb, open the inside driver's door, and stand to pull up the bench seat to clear the designated area. The person in the wheelchair has to roll in, do anywhere from a 3 to 30 point turn to face the front of the bus, and parallel park in the open space. The bus driver then straps the wheelchair into place, sits back down in the driver's seat, closes the inside driver's door, retracts the ramp, and allows other passengers aboard the bus. I looked at the time, down at my Diodor sneakers, back at the time, and at each person as they slipped their Metro card into the machine, one by one. As the last of the passengers stepped aboard, I envisioned myself shouting, Can you please hurry up? And pushing every single one of them into their seats so we could go. I tried to calm myself down, but as I imagined my seven-year-old stranded on a corner in Brooklyn, my heart beat like the bass of a car stereo on max volume. When I was in grade school, I played all over the school while my dad, a high school teacher, finished his office hours and faculty meetings. Once, I must have gotten so wrapped up in my fun, I barely noticed it was getting late. I headed over to my dad's classroom to see if he was done, but his classroom door was locked. I knocked, but no one answered. I ran over to the main office to see if he had gone to make copies for the next day, but he wasn't there either. I jogged down the stairs next to his classroom to the faculty parking lot. Our maroon Toyota Previa wasn't there. I decided to go back to his classroom to stay where he could find me. I must have fallen asleep on the floor next to his door because the next thing I knew, I jolted awake at the sound of a loud vacuum cleaner. I was terrified. It was dark outside and the cleaning crew had arrived. I remember wanting to hide but having no place to go. I don't remember what happened next, but eventually my dad came and picked me up. I was lost in this memory until the bus began to pull away from the curb at the stop just before ours. I started to grab our stuff when a lady in the back of the bus shouted, Back door! A signal to the driver to release the back door for passengers to get out. I was enraged. I wanted to shout, What the hell is wrong with you? You have to be ready to get off the bus when we get to the stop, not when we're leaving it. But I said nothing as the bus driver pulled back toward the curb and released the back door for her to leave. I was a wreck. I scrunched my face, clinched my fist, and fought off tears until both of my eyes filled. As we pulled back into the street, I nudged my son, who had fallen asleep. Wake up, we're almost there. His dazed toddler eyes looked up at me, and it hit me. The reason I was so upset. I had vowed never to be late to pick up my kids. I would never leave them stranded, looking for me. But here I was, late. I was a failure. At that exact moment, a 718 area code popped up on my phone. I didn't have the school bus driver's number, but I knew it was her, and in an instant my fear transformed to shame and guilt. Hi, sorry, I'll be right there. I'm one block away. 
Before the city bus slowed to a stop at the corner, I prayed that no other parents would be there to see me. When the city bus stopped, I pulled my youngest son behind me as I pushed the back door open. Then I waved an apologetic hand to the school bus driver and turned to face my son. Uh, where were you? he asked. Sorry, I thought I had enough time, but I didn't, I said with tears still in my eyes. He stared at me a little longer than normal, seemingly storing this picture of me in his mind. Then, to my surprise, he went right into telling me a story about one of his classmates. I tried to regain composure. As we made our way, I looked at my sons, one still polishing off the last of his blue smoothie and the other deep into a story about his day. I could tell it probably never crossed their minds that I was a failure, and I surrendered to the truth that my feelings of inadequacy were based on my experiences, not theirs. This guy does such a good job expanding a moment. Okay, so first he's waiting for the bus. Then the bus comes, and then he's on the bus, and then a wheelchair person needs to get on the bus. That's the part where you're really, really, really drawn in. You're like, why is he telling me all this information? And it's at that moment he slows down, and we know exactly why we've heard everything. He and gives us, yes. but what he does there is he gives us every single detail. Yeah. The opening up of the ramp, extending the ramp, how the wheelchair has to roll in, the three to 30 point turn. Oh that my God, you can so tell. funny. What I loved about that three to 30 point is that you can tell this guy's fucking pissed. Yeah, he's like, a three point turn's enough. Oh my God, but this wheelchair is doing 30 points. Yeah. That's how it felt. That's well, how he, it felt to me. It's subtle. Because yeah. he, he's struggling with the feeling right? Of, like, God, this is a wheelchair. I should be nicer. But yes. all I need is them to just hurry up. And it's like he's fighting that, like, oh, God, I can't be such a dick here. That's but, another reason I loved this scene is yeah. because he is potentially being mean yeah. about a wheelchair yeah. person. No. So it's extremely brave yeah. and very, very honest. Yeah. But what's happening here is he's slowing down, slowing down. He's telling every single detail about how this guy has to get on the bus. And all he does is take a breath and then he goes back in time and he tells us the whole story about a time he was left. Yeah, he doesn't do any transition. All he does is like when you see this in a book or an essay, it's just an extra line that he skipped. Just a tiny bit of white space that tells you that the scene has changed. He doesn't need any transition. He just changes the scene. It works. Some people are like, oh, and then I was sitting around and I thought about, then I saw a bird, which reminded me of this scene in a movie. No. You don't really need that. No. He brought us back to the scene of the bust today, right now in time, by saying, I was lost in the memory. And then we he get back into right the... back on the bus. Love it. Yes. Well done. 
And so also when we talk about expanding a moment, the thing is, is that he's slowed down. In every other situation, he's not describing everything going on. He's sort of giving you like just the details of like his kid got out. They went for smoothies. He didn't tell you how the smoothie was made. If there was banana in the smoothie, what made it blue? He just gave you the details because that's all we needed. But at this wheelchair scene, getting on the bus and his anxiety as it slows down and then this lady wants the back door open. It's like we feel it because the moment is slow. And that's important in this scene because it is the quintessential scene of the story. It's the moment that brought him back in time where he figured out exactly why he was so upset. Yeah. And he even tells us that a little later in the story. He says, I figured it out. I I vowed never to be late for my son, and now here I am being late. And we saw the lateness happen. I want to talk about sometimes going off on tangents that don't serve the story. So people go back either too far or something that's completely unrelated, and then no one knows what the story's about. So I feel like I do that, and I sometimes have done that, but I still do that even now. Yeah, we all do that. Yeah, and we think that it's going in one direction, but our reader or listener is like, wait. What? Why do we care about this right now? This Devin is not didn't this... do that. No, he didn't. Uh-uh. And that's what was so impressive. He mm-hmm. stayed really focused. We got exactly why. What What Devin did was he did take us to, he went on a tangent to himself as a little kid, but we were completely, there was no wasted, nothing wasted. It wasn't like, wait, why is he telling us that he's sitting in front of the classroom? Like, we so get it. He explained it perfectly. Yeah. Um, can we just talk about one thing now that we've talked about the tangent, stepping in and out, expanding a moment? Because we cannot end this without talking about the crying. I wanted to cut the crying. I didn't want I'm you to cut I'm still not the... sure we shouldn't have. No, but this is about his character. This is a guy. He's singing like show tunes. Like this is a guy who cries. He's emotional. Like what's wrong with that? My problem with the crying, so the story opened with um, I cried on a public bus and then there was a few different times in the story where he had tears in his eyes. And So I want to make this point that sometimes the truth doesn't ring true. And in in my head, and this is so sad and I wish this wasn't true, but in my head, a grown man just doesn't cry that easily. And so I thought this story might work without the crying. But to your point, Allison, it was within his character, it seems, a guy who sings show tunes might be the kind of guy who cries. I wish I didn't. I know it it's a ridiculous me. stereotype it's that we're so holding bad. on to. It's really bad. No, it is really bad. Yeah. Um, but the writing point is that sometimes mm-hmm. it's important to look at, oh, well, it really did happen. But does it really serve the story? And in this case, I'm not sure. But there was another point he made that we could have cut. Oh, the way Devin, the narrator, was so polite. Like he said in his mind, he's like, could you guys please hurry up? I was like, what? He's thinking please in his head, like maybe if he said please and thought like, shut the fuck down. But he was so pleasant and nice. Like right. that's a crier. But that's I, a guy who cries. Right. I felt like those pleases were true to his character. Yeah. So they worked in the story. He's gentler. I like that about him. We love this guy because he cries. Yeah. It just, I just wasn't sure it worked in the story. Yeah. And I, I guess I just don't like that about myself. That's like, that's a criticism of me right there. Oh, yeah. That, that I am judging him. Yeah. When I want men to cry the way he does, like, it's so beautiful. But I also just, does that work for the story? But we left it because it was true. It's true. Yeah, we don't want to cut things out like that. No. No. 
said, let's talk about what the story is about, which is what we love talking about every single time anyone tells any story. And the reason we love talking about it is because that's, one, the hardest part. The figuring out what the story is about is figuring out why the story is even worth being told. And in this case, the story is about a man who feels like a failure as a father and then realizes that his feelings of failure are really just in his own head. And that they come from an experience that he's had that he's not been able to expel all these years of his life. So if he had just said, oh, I was late to pick up my son, we'd be like, and? That's a situation. Right. Yeah. But no, right, you're right. He took us to that other scene so we understand why. That's why that scene was so important. That's why he needed to slow down and expand because he was saying, listen, guys, this is the most important part of my story. A good way to figure out what the story is about is to ask yourself why. And he did. Why am I telling the story now? Or why? No, why why did... am I so upset? Why am I? Why so do freaking... I feel yeah. like a failure? Yeah, because I don't want to be like my dad. Because I vowed not to be late for my kids. Oh, but we—he wasn't like. I think his dad. This whole thing was not like. I don't think his dad did that intentionally. Sure, I mean, there no, was, no, no. The fact of the matter is, he was left. He felt left. Whether or not he was left, he felt left. Maybe so, it's all about getting to your original wound. Yeah, I do think that. And he didn't want his son to feel left. Right. But his son didn't. That's what I thought was so cool. And that was the realization that he had. Oh, this failure is only in my mind. Yeah. My kids don't seem to be noticing. No. They don't think I'm a failure. But what's funny about kids is that going through it, like I'm sure the things that we went through as kids like they only become clear now when the rest of your life is fucked up and you're trying to find a reason why and then you're like who can I blame oh let's blame my dad who left me once at the mall to go pee but yeah no wait that happened to you no 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 I'm making that shit up but I'm just saying that what what appears to not bug it like this may have not a big been a big deal in this guy's life as a kid but now later on now that he's a dad some of these insecurities or some of these like things come up True. That's, yeah. That's the why now. That's the beauty of writing stories. We can we can try to understand ourselves. Why we are feeling a certain way. And it just right through it. And sometimes we figure it out. Yeah. And what's really beautiful is that so many parents, I know I have felt like, what a failure. Yeah. And then I look at my kids and I'm like, hmm, maybe they don't notice. Yeah. And they, they might not right now, but they might eventually. <laughs> the point of the story is... Write, write, write. Writing helps understand each other. It helps us understand ourselves. And it it helps us understand why we have insecurities in this world and why we act the way we act. So, and like what Amanda Palmer said, write the embarrassing thing and you will feel more loved. More loved and more connected. Yeah. Okay, thank you for listening, and thank you, Devin, for sharing your story. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Justina Chandler. Additional music by Adriel Bershansky and Ari Herstand. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by The Launchpad at the University of Miami. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just 
kicking down the cobblestones. Do-do-do-do, feeling groovy. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.